Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, a very pleasant good morning to you. A little bit after 10 o'clock, this is Patrick Timpone. And you've got OneRadioNetwork.com. That's where we hang out here uh, most every day, except Thursdays and um, Thursdays. We take Thursdays off and play. So if you'd like to be on the show, you can do it. And uh, here's a way, 888-663-6386. Email patrick at oneradionetwork.com. Tomorrow, Adam Bergstrom is going to be here. Adam Bergstrom 2.0. He's here on the first Monday and also the uh, second, third Wednesday of the month. And he's uh, quite an interesting, one of the best uh, researchers that I've known uh, known uh, for many years, Adam has been around uh, the sun. Well, we don't say the sun anymore since I'm a flat earther. So Adam has had his body for about, <laughs> I can't do it anymore. Can I tell you? Uh, 80, 80 years or something like that. And he's just, uh, his mind is like, poof, poof. he remembers this stuff. I don't know how he does it. So speaking of the mind and the brain, and we're going to talk to a, a neurosurgeon because, you know, I'm half crazy. So, you know, it's always good to talk to a neurosurgeon, see if he can look at my brain to see why I'm so bonkers. And it's uh, Dr. <laughs> Anthony Chafee, right? Dr. Anthony Chafee. He's an MD That's in right. Australia, where it's about 11 o'clock at night. Thanks for staying up, Doc. But as a, as a resident in neurosurgery, you were telling me off the air that you're up a lot anyway, right? You're up a lot anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's quite long hours. You know, obviously medicine is is demanding hours, but neurosurgery is even more demanding than that. And so it's um, quite a busy service. And when you're on call, it's it's I mean, it's just you're working all night. Yeah. You know, and so you're you're not really going to get sleep. Sometimes you get sleep. Most of the time, you maybe get a bit of, a bit of a nap here and there. Wow. So but you actually then you crack open the skull and and fix people. Whoa. That's. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> what what yeah. on earth uh, encouraged you to do that one? It's probably about a girl, yeah. right? It's probably about a girl. No, you know, this one probably, you know, this was like one of the only you know, major life decisions probably wasn't. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, That's the. Right. Um, <laughs> my uh, yeah, when I was when I was in first year medical school, I was, um, you know, just. We, it was a major neurosurgical center, uh-huh. uh, our, our main teaching hospital, and and we were just on different rotations. I think I was on general surgery or something like that, but it was a bit boring, and I wasn't too interested in that. Mm-hmm. And um, so we were waiting between cases anyway, and so I just sort of was just walking around looking at the different operating rooms that had different cases, and I just said, "Oh, brain surgery, well, that that's kind of cool." And I I just wandered in there, asked if I could observe, and they said yes. And this lady had been kicked in the face by a horse and it had crushed in the front of her face and her skull. And so they had to open her up ear to ear and pull the skin down and then open her up and then rebuild the the front of her face and forehead from the, from the inside and the outside. And I remember just looking at the skull and just being just so amazed. I was, and I thought to myself, Wow, you know the brain is just under there. Like who she is as a person is right under there. Like it's so close. It was it was just very surreal to me. Mm-hmm. And then then the ne- next day I was like, okay, I want to. I just I just want to go see neurosurgery cases. And then they had one where they opened up the skull and and I could see the brain and it's very different than what you see in 
movies and cartoons or even you know pictures on the internet yeah it's very different it's white and it has little little veins and and arteries sort of cross around it and it pulses you know it's just like pulsing out and so it's like just yeah just pulsing out of the the skull flap and and so it's uh again even more surreal and i was just really taken aback by that and i remember you know thinking like everything that makes that person who they are is here is stored there. in this brain yeah. Yeah. Yeah, stored exactly. There. yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. and so you know the, all the processes of, of her mind and thought and memory and and personality it's all stored in there and um in this amazing amazing you know organ and uh, you know i mentioned this to you off air but you know one of the things that i thought of at the time was that the memory of her dog on her seventh birthday is somewhere in there that you can touch with your finger. And I just thought that was the most amazing thing uh, that I could think of. And so I just became very, very infatuated with, with uh, the specialty and I just wanted to learn a lot more. So I just, you know, threw myself into it as a student and I just was just observing and, and helping out and assisting on as many cases as right. I could as a student. Right. Do, you, do you get cases where um, people have these brain aneurysms I guess uh, mm. I guess uh, what happens is an artery or vein pops in there in the brain yeah. dock, and uh, what do you do for that? Yeah, so yeah, so it would be like an outpouching of the like a, like when your arteries is sort of sort of blowing a bubble. Yes, sir. And uh, and that can be you know like a balloon. You know, if the, the larger a balloon grows, the weaker its structure is, and easier it it will be to pop. And that's the same same is true for aneurysms. And so you know, with just with just normal blood pressure, this is just going to have uh, a, a, be a weak point. And at some point, they can just rupture. Just but you know, yeah. yeah, they can just bust. So when they do that, there's a number of different things that that you may have to do some people are very debilitated by this very high mortality rate with uh, it causes it causes something called a subarachnoid hemorrhage the arachnoid matter there's there's three layers of sacking around the brain that protects the brain mm-hmm. and the arachnoid uh, matter is one of those layers and so it's subarachnoid so it's just under that layer and that just tells you where the bleed is and it can be small or it can be big and then people can be very obtunded from this. They can go into comas. The blood can block up the ventricles, which is where your cerebral spinal fluid flows around the brain. Mm. And then it'll just start blowing up like a balloon because you're making more and more of the cerebral spinal fluid, the CSF, and it has nowhere to go. And so it just starts compressing the brain and uh, and you, you get what's called hydrocephalus and that can kill you. So sometimes you have to put in a drain where you drill a hole in the front of uh, someone's skull and just pop in this this drain through into the ventricle and then that drains outside the body it's called an extra ventricular drain um after that there are a number of different ways of treating it in in my department here we're you know we're, we're doing most of these endovascularly so we're going up you know through the artery in the wrist or the hip and snaking a little uh, you know, wire up to the offending area and putting in these little coils and uh, sometimes stents like you would put in your heart for mm-hmm. heart disease. Mm-hmm. Same sort of thing. You can, you can put that uh, flow diverting stent to, to block off the little aneurysm. And that works very, very well. It's, it's user dependent, but our department's very good at this. And so that's what we, we mostly do. The other option is, you know, taking off a you know piece of the bone and then going in 
from the outside and putting a little clip across the base of the aneurysm and blocking that off so it's uh you know just just pinched off and um that has you know a good uh you know rate of return but if there's there's sort of competing data now on which which one's better which one's safer so it's sort of a, a you know an argument in, in process in the neurosurgical world but our department mostly treats endovascularly but you can clip them i see so when we hear somebody has a stroke happens a lot right oh george had a stroke and now his right side is paralyzed and it's going to be like that forever and you know um so there are, in the case of george there are some places in his brain that were damaged through a blood clot or something and but that's not a part of the brain that you could actually fix is it uh, i mean is it just yeah. damaged and you just george is just kind of kind of deal with it yeah that, that's the problem is that the brain is very complex and neurosurgery while being at the same time very delicate and precise and exacting it's also in other ways quite crude because of the limitations of what we can do with the organ of the brain mm. there are billions of neurons yeah. that have trillions of connections wow. and so you know you, you you can't actually get down to that level and and then rebuild those structures and connections uh -huh. um and so you know you, you really it's more of a destructive force you can cut things out or you can take things away. It's very hard to rebuild those structures. You just have to, you know, let your body, uh, you know, sort of do the healing. And if it heals, it heals. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. You just have to, you just have to sort of wow. leave it to the body at that point. When you have a stroke for whatever reason and you lose blood supply to a certain area of the brain, sometimes you can reperfuse this. Like if you had a clot there, sometimes they can, again, snake this same uh, little wire up and grab the clot and pull that out. And then you can get function back in that area of the brain. If you don't get that in time or it's not the right type of uh, stroke or something else that prevents this, then that, that area quite often dies and is, and is permanent. Um, sometimes it's not complete and that you, you would have a bit of function left over and sometimes it's complete. So yeah, at that point, if, if the area is dead, yeah, there's really, there's really no going back, unfortunately. And, and mm. we've been told that, that there's a lot of electric, electrical energy going on with the brain and light and all kinds of things. And how would you, how would you mm. mess with that? I mean, that's like magic God stuff, right? I mean, whoa. You yeah. know, it's like, whoa. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And that's what those, those connections are. You, know, you have billions are. of cells. But yeah. Each, each one of those cells, each one of those neurons can have 20, 30, you know, thousand connections with other with other neurons, you know? So, you know, you've got 2 billion cells times 30,000, like that's how many connections you have. So it's wow. very, very complex. And, and this is all with like little electrical signals that are propagating down the axons, which is basically think of your neuron cell body mm -hmm. as the computer, and then the axon as the wire coming from the computer to whatever it wants to control, you know? And so, it sends an electric signal that propagates down that wire and it really does sort of work like why it's a sort of a hollow tube really but but it sort of works the same for these principles sends that signal down and then that releases different chemicals and uh, and interacts in different ways and so yeah it's very very intricate it's very very complex and 
yeah, if you mess with that, it, it, it can go very badly. That's why, <laughs> Real you quick, know, you, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, that, I mean, just from a practical standpoint, it's something you have to take into consideration because, you know, we use cautery and, uh, you know, diathermy. So we would, we would take, um, you know, basically like a little plastic looking pen with a little metal stick on the end of it. And we cut through people, you know, through tissue and this, you know, burns and cauterizes vessels as you go down. And so you, you, you reduce the amount of bleeding significantly. You can't do that on the brain because you're sending a signal, like an actual powerful electrical signal through that. Mm-hmm. And, and your, your brain sort of runs it around, you know, I think it's like 10 watts or something like that. And so, you know, if you're, you're putting this thing in there, which is like, you know, hundreds of times, thousands of times more powerful than that, you're, you're, you're charging this whole signal through there. You can, you can cause serious problems. Um, you know, when you, when your brain is overexcited because it has excitatory molecules and, and, um, you know, sedative molecules like, like GABA and, um, uh, and dopamine excites and GABA, you know, calms things down. So when you get overstimulated in your nerves, in your neurons, that can propagate an electrical signal that basically turns on all your neurons and that's called a seizure. And so that's, that's very dangerous. This is why it's funny when those movies come out about, you know, like limitless, like all this turns on your brain, like like your brain is like, like, you know, we were, we were just, you know, designed and created so, so poorly that our brain could be running, you know, at a hundred percent, but it's just, you know, some idiot turned it on 10%. And that's just like, oh, that's not yeah, true. what that's an idiot. True, well, of course not. No, absolutely <laughs> not. You know, it, like if you're, if you're, if every cell in your brain is working, I mean, that is called a seizure, you know? So basically, yeah, you could be limitless and, uh, and be in a seizure and die. And that's, that's basically what that would do. And so, um, not really believable. Your brain is, is knows what, the, what it's doing. Well, um, so what is yeah. your, what is your understanding of this, the difference between the mind and the brain? <clears throat> that, that's a very good question that uh, I don't know the answer to, but, you know, I think that, you know, from, from what I've seen, you know, there, there is some chemical reaction and response in these cells that are giving us, you know, the ability to think and communicate uh, as we do. Um, this is what makes me think that, you know, art, you know, making artificial intelligence is, very likely to be possible, maybe not possible in our lifetime, but certainly possible just because, you know, we, we, we already have a system of, of chemical information that is stored and utilized in a certain way to give us free thought and free will. And if we can figure out how that works, then we might be able to replicate that. Um, we do see this when people, when, when the structures are damaged, you know, when, when someone has a brain injury and they damage their frontal lobe, their personality will change. They will be a very different person, potentially. They may not be, but sometimes people they act could very be. differently. Sure. Yeah. yeah, they could be. Yeah. In, in my experience, I, I kind of look at the mind as a software and the brain as hardware. Like the mind, yeah. the, the, brain, the mind would be like Windows 10 and then, and then the brain would be like yeah. your, your Dell computer. <laughs> the best yeah. computer ever, by the way. And I think the mind yeah. too is like, I don't, you know, I, I do a lot of work when I'm a spiritual level and look at these things. But I do know one thing for sure, that every thought uh, that I have, right, Doc, every thought that I have and buy into, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. God is good or, you know, terrorism is going to kill me or whatever it is, right, is that that's mm-hmm. in my body at that moment. I know that. I've seen that yeah. on the spiritual level. So there's a connection between that and, and you know, and disease and 
Uh, we can talk more about that as well. So uh, this is fun. Okay, Dr. Chaffee is with us. He's a neurosurgeon. Enough about the brain because that's a little geeky. Now on his on his off time, he has a lot of fun, more fun than he has operating. Well, I don't know. He'll tell you. And he talks a lot about why we get sick and what this disease thing is and the food. And you have a very interesting um, uh, idea that I, it's becoming more and more in vogue to think like this, and I know you're onto something for what it's worth, is that this idea that chronic diseases, such as heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune, and dementia, even cancer, they're not really diseases. They're yeah. toxicities and malnutrition. And for what it's worth, yeah, right. I know you're onto something, and that's why I invited you on this show. Because well, thank you very much. I know you're right, but of course, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just talk show dude, so I don't have any mm-hmm. clue. But um, isn't that fascinating? If what we're saying is correct here, isn't that fascinating? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it is, and I, I sort of had just sort of an aha moment. Um, I think around three years ago when I first moved to Australia, mm-hmm. and I've been looking at looking at at, at medicine, human medicine, and any animal, it's just medicine in general, you know, this absolutely applies to, to vets as well. And, and some zookeepers are actually more on top of this. There, there's a weird sort of movement, even in, in the veterinary community to like push a plant-based diet on dogs and cats, which are know. known carnivores. They're carnivores, and, and, right? and they're getting, <laughs> Yeah. And they're getting, they're getting sick and having problems, you know, but what people don't realize is they're getting the same diseases that we are, you know, they're getting obesity, heart disease, liver disease, diabetes, cancer, arthritis, and autoimmune issues. And, you know, the list goes on. And, you know, this is, this is something that, you know, zookeepers, um, have known for a long time that if you feed an animal something that it doesn't eat in the wild, something that it hasn't evolved on, it will get sick. You know, but what does it get sick with? It gets all those same things. It gets all the things exactly. that we get. And yeah, exactly. And you know, vets are now saying there's like, yeah, there's there's this huge uh, up uprise in um, in human diseases in pets that they've really never seen before in any great to any great extent. And you know, some people are blaming um, you know breeders for hyperbreeding, but you know, I mean, a golden retriever was already a pure breed. You know, so it's like it's it's that's already it's yeah. already there. But, you know, the life expectancy of a golden retriever in America in the 1970s was 17 years on average. Now it's nine years on average. Is that right? And nine years? Yeah, 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 yeah. So they've, 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 lost, they've lost half their life expectancy from birth. And, you know, there may be other reasons for this. But, you know, one thing that happened during that time was people stopped feeding their dogs table scraps as much they started moving over to packaged dog food which had a whole bunch of grains and plant-based fillers yeah and that became more and more popular also people stopped eating as much meat because you know cholesterol was said to be causative of heart disease by the usda in 1977 and so that that changed everything so everyone's everyone stopped eating meat so they weren't giving the dogs as many scraps and the scraps that they were giving were you know, more plant-based and not meat-based, which is what a dog is. A dog's a wolf. Wolves eat meat. And so... (laughs) That's what they eat. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, and and we're seeing this this rise in diseases. We can take a, a, a step back as well, because even in human populations, we haven't always had this burden of disease. We certainly haven't had no. the burden of disease we have now. You know, since that 1977 declaration, 
the obesity rate has tripled, heart disease has tripled, stroke rates tripled, cancer rates have tripled, type 2 diabetes, autoimmune disorders, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, uh, even neurodevelopmental delays such as autism have all increased exponentially. They almost didn't exist before then. And they all increased at the exact same time. Is that right? And You can see a graph from the the, the 77 deal. And and was the 77 deal separate from the Framingham cholesterol madness? Mm. Was that separate? it was separate, um, and it, that was the Framingham study itself was was fine. Um, it the data and results that they published were misused. Yeah. So the Framingham study actually found that if you had m- you know more cholesterol, you you we were better off. You had lower rates of heart disease and death, and it was actually beneficial. The American Heart Association, the AHA, two years after this was published, published the exact opposite You're results and, and said, oh, the Framingham study found that as you lower your cholesterol, your risk of heart disease goes down, your your, your benefits and life expectancy go up. So they absolutely lied. It's pure fraud. And Whoa. and it's it's demonstrable, you know. I mean this is this is this is you can just look them up. You know, and so you know, many people have pointed this out. Many researchers have yes. published this and excoriated the American Heart Association for this. Uh, but you know, I was taught in medical school this is what the Framingham study found. They taught you that. I thought the Framingham study was messed up because they found cholesterol at the scene of the crime, and they thought it was the yeah. perpetrator of the crime. I thought that was the flaw, mm-hmm. but it was a bigger flaw where the mm-hmm. AMA actually flipped it and cooked the books. Yeah, they, they absolutely cooked the books. So they, the, they, Birmingham actually found uh, an association with more cholesterol, less heart disease, right? So they found a beneficial correlation. Now, correlation is not causation, yes. which is what a lot of people who push the whole cholesterol is bad thing seem to forget because there are zero studies showing causation. There are only studies showing correlation, but we know for like the Framingham study that didn't show a correlation that actually showed a, a, an inverse correlation between higher cholesterol and heart disease. And in fact, people like Ansel Keys, uh, we now know it is an actual public record that Ansel Keys was paid off by the sugar companies to put out fraudulent studies. And we know he put out this, I think it was like the seven nation study and he, he found these seven nations and he looked around and, and he said, oh, as you increase your cholesterol, heart disease rate goes up. And it was parabolic. It was like exponential growth, uh-huh. right? So people were, oh, well, this proves it. Well, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it shows an association. You know, there's an association between ice cream sales and shark attacks. You know, does that mean that the more ice cream you sell, the more shark attacks you're going to get? Or is it that in the summer it's hot and you sell more ice cream and more people are in the water where the sharks are? Right. That's a correlation. So, you know, That's a correlation. Correlation. That's, That's it. And so they're showing correlation. There is no study on earth that has ever happened, fraudulent or real, that has ever shown causation that cholesterol, higher cholesterol causes the, the you know causes heart disease. There's nothing that shows causation. There's only correlative studies. And now if you go back, you actually see that these correlative studies were fraudulent. They actually showed no correlation. So the seven nation study wow. actually had 23 nations. He had data for 23 nations. And if you if you look at those, you find that there actually isn't even a correlation, no association. And so while correlation can never show causation, 
if you show that there is a lack of correlation, that proves there is no causation hmm. because you have to have correlation before you get causation. You cannot have correlation or causation without correlation first. And so if you show that there is no correlation, well, then there's de facto no causation. And, and that's exactly what um, you know, his studies showed. And then the, the 1977 report from the USDA was actually published by a guy who was a former Harvard professor who is now head of the USDA. Well, we now have actual records from the sugar companies back in like the, you know, the 60s showing that this Harvard professor and two of his colleagues at Harvard were paid by the sugar companies to publish, you know, to falsify their data and publish fraudulent studies to make it appear as if cholesterol was causing heart disease when it was really sugar and to exonerate sugar. And then he was named head of the USDA and he was able to drive that, uh, that agenda forward. And he was the one who authored and published that 1977 um, so doc, piece. Yeah, Dr. Chafee, so how, um, what's your understanding of how sugar can, um, can cause heart disease? And we t are we speaking of atherosclerosis or a myocardial infarction? In other words, the actual heart muscles or the, you know, the, the clogging up thing? Yeah, so... So yeah, so so atherosclerosis will will clog clog up the vessels, oh, and eventually that clogs off completely. That can cause an infarction, right. and so that will cut oh. off. It's, so it's, a, it's like a stroke in your heart, right. and so um, you know, and that's actually you know the the actual term is an infarction. So you infarct your heart, you infarct your brain, you infarct your mm -hmm. your bowel or your leg or something like that. You've 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 thrown some sort of embolus, and that gets stuck somewhere, or it clots off for other reasons, and it, it stops the blood supply. So that's an infarction. So myocardial infarction means you've infarct the the myocardium, which is the the muscle of the heart. And then so, embolsa, that's a, I, that word you use is like a blood clot. Excuse me for interrupting, right? Embol no, you're fine. Yeah. Embolism. Yeah. Is that a blood clot? Well, it's, it's or like a clot of something that, that messes things up? It's like that, yeah. So it's a, it's a physical obstruction okay. that stops the flow of blood. All right. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so atherosclerosis. So, well, first of all, we know now that cholesterol does not cause right. atherosclerosis. Um and that higher levels of cholesterol is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. So now there's, there's all these large studies that actually show, again, no correlation between higher LDL cholesterol or saturated fat and heart disease, but they're in fact showing an inverse an correlation. Inverse so they're showing that, <laughs> yeah, they're showing that it's protective. It's better against heart disease and stroke. And so, um, what, so what is causing heart disease, right? So it's it's a very complex inflammatory process that has a, ha, has a lot of moving parts. So it was never going to be as simplistic as just cholesterol in, heart disease out, right? Um, you know, way too simplistic. But so what's happening? Well, you can damage your cholesterol by eating carbohydrates, eating sugar, drinking alcohol. Those are the, those are the three main culprits. But you're causing oxidative stress or glycation when we have higher blood sugar those sugars can actually fuse on to other molecules and damage them permanently. Um, this is what kills diabetics. This is why ha you know, having just having that higher blood sugar is physically damaging to your body. Mm. And so if you are running high blood sugar for years and years and years, this is just going to start damaging your body from the inside out. When it does this to your uh, LDL cholesterol, it can damage uh, a protein called uh, ApoB100, which is a 
which is sort of a signaling molecule on the uh, surface of the LDL cholesterol. And this is what the liver recognizes to grab it and pull it in and process it. Okay. For, for various things, mm -hmm. right? Because cholesterol is ubiquitous. It's used in every single cell in our body. Every single cell in our body is made out of cholesterol. I learned that in eighth grade biology, <laughs> that the cell membrane of our, of our cells, of every cell is cholesterol. And then these proteins and glycoproteins sit in the, in the sort of cell membrane. Uh, but the cell membrane is cholesterol. Um, so your brain is made out of cholesterol, your body's made out of cholesterol, your nerves are all made out of cholesterol, all your hormones are made out of cholesterol. Cholesterol is a precursor for all of your sex hormones and androgens Everything, and right? uh, estrogens and all these things. Yeah. That's you why know, when so, they give the so uh, statins important. and lower the cholesterol, then they have to give uh, some magic, uh, uh, a libido pill, what do they call them? I don't know, you know, because you can't yeah, even make I testosterone, right? You can't even make testosterone. Yeah, well, it, it screws you up and, hmm. you know, and your brain needs cholesterol. And so... You know why are we why are we giving something that's going to screw with that? Yeah. Um, wow. So yeah, I, I don't agree with, with with statins. I think the the evidence in the literature in the published literature is very clear that these things are causing more harm than good, and they have side effects. You know, and you don't want to lower cholesterol anyway. Cholesterol is good for you. You know, so you know why are we getting rid? Why are we using something to get rid of something that we want that has side effects we don't want? Dr. Okay? Chaffee, it's just, it's just yeah. a, a Dr. Chaffee, is the AMA to this day in medical schools still running with this mm -hmm. cholesterol thing? I mean, they still are they still teaching mm -hmm. this? I, I believe so. You know, I mean, I, I graduated in 2013, but um, mm. you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't pushed as hard then you know because they, they never actually sh you know they they certainly talked about you know the collection of you know uh you know uh, ldl cholesterol and the you know grabbing these things into macrophages and growing into you know massive foam cells and those things getting stuck but there really wasn't too much more of an understanding of that so the actual process is that the ldl cholesterol as that apple b100 damaged by glycation okay so glucose can do this high blood sugar also fructose can do this fructose is actually uh more powerful than that so if you're eating you know sugar like fruit and honey and and you know table sugar or whatever that fructose uh is actually doing more damage uh to your body and to those uh, uh ldl cholesterol as well it's also processed by your body and broken down by your liver into the same byproducts as alcohol so you actually get the same problems wow. from the degradation of alcohol yeah so you get fatty liver disease cirrhosis diabetes heart disease and uh it's actually uh, been shown to feed cancer as well um and there's links between that and uh, alzheimer's which is now being termed type 3ds and they're like oh well we've seen this you know similar metabolic um you know, experiences in and in, in alzheimer's as well as type 2 diabetes and it's like well right because you know it, there's the same causative factor that's going into that which is a lot of carbs and sugar which is which is damaging your body's ability to process energy and that energy is not getting into your brain you know and so when you get rid of that you know your, your brain sort of wakes up when you go into so a then the high state. sugar with the carbs and fruit and other you know, sugar sugar um mm -hmm. then messes with the ldl and and does this cause inflammation in the arteries and and that's when the cholesterol tries to patch it up and that's why they blame cholesterol is that close yeah so so the cholesterol when it's damaged it can't get used by the liver and so oh. it's sort of it's sort of not being 
process properly? Well, the only thing at this point that can really utilize it and suck it up are the macrophages. As your macrophages, you know, with the, the scavenger molecule, they can just sort of latch these things up because they can, they can almost get anything. And so they just start sucking these things up, sucking these things up. And they have a, a very high capacity, if not unlimited capacity to suck in these molecules. And so they grow into these giant, giant things. We call them foam cells. They're just massively engorged cells and they're just full of cholesterol. And that's why, you know, cholesterol is blamed. Oh, look, there's cholesterol in there. Cholesterol is bad. Uh, no, damaged cholesterol is bad. And, you know, you damage it by eating carbs and sugar and alcohol, but then there ha you have to have damage, you know, like you say, so there's damage on arterial wall. So again, this is this larger inflammatory process and so you know, smoking, nicotine, you know, different sorts of drugs and chemicals and insults to your body can cause these little nicks and abrasions in, in the, the lining of your arteries. In the arteries. Yeah. 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 And, and now your macrophages, which are part of your, you know, innate uh, in, immune system to, to help heal your body and fight infection, they now are going to go here to try and fix that. And they get stuck because they're, they're big and fat and they're not working properly. And so that can build up and they just get stuck there and they can, they can sort of build up in, in that tissue and eventually clot off. Um, so that's, that's a very different process. I mean, cholesterol is certainly involved, but more cholesterol doesn't make that happen. Yes, sir. You know, yeah, it's the damaging of the cholesterol. So then other toxins, either in the air or the water or food, um, that could then be involved in the same process, right? Similar, yeah. similar process as the sugar yeah. and the carbs yeah, and, and the sugar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, there's, it's going to be you know, multifactorial. Sure. But sugar and carbohydrates i mean they're they're involved in this in this large inflammatory process and you know whether you have you know damaged your artery walls or not if you don't have all these damaged cholesterol molecules getting sucked up by these macrophages and turning into foam cells you're not going to get the atherosclerosis you know so whether or not you you, you damage these things i mean this is what we've had we've had smokers for how many centuries or millennia and how recent is heart disease? Heart disease was very, very uh, rare prior to the mid 20th century. And, and it wasn't even that common in the middle of the 20th century when, when President Eisenhower had a heart attack and everyone now the national focus yeah, was, was, what is this yeah. new heart disease? Yeah. I mean, no one knew of it. There were headlines in papers saying, what is this new heart disease? Okay. So if everyone was just getting this stuff, you know, just, you know, just dropping dead, I, you know, I think we would have noticed, you know, and uh, a lot of people, um, you know, take the simplistic view of saying that, no, 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 this was probably happening all the time. It's just people just didn't notice. And it was like, yeah, your family just dropping dead around you. Just, oh, well, I just guess <laughs> happens. You know, you're just not going to notice that really, you know, or, or autism rates increasing, you know, just sure. spiking up dramatically. And they're saying, well, it was probably happening. We just weren't diagnosing it. I'm sorry. Uh, have you met someone with autism? Like you, you will know, you know, like it's something that, that, that affects people, you know, in significant ways that you will not miss. And so um, I think that that's, that's really just a bit, a bit too dismissive. You know, I mean, we, if we're seeing these rates go up, you know, instead of asking ourselves being responsible and saying, oh, okay, what are we doing differently? You know, our genetics didn't, didn't change in the course of one generation. So what's happening? There's something in our environment, something, something changed. And, and looking at that responsibly and, and clinically, you know, people are just dismissing, go, yeah, it's probably always happening. Okay. I, I really doubt that, you know, it's just like, you know, you were the guy treating autism before you've never seen it this rate. You, know, you just think that you were an idiot and you never noticed it before, yeah. you know, I mean, is that, that's really what, what people are saying. 
that they themselves were too stupid to notice something that they treat every single day and are now noticing now. So, you know, can you look back and go, oh, he actually, you know, that, that kid I treated in 1974, I mean, you know, he probably did have autism or, you know, this other, other little girl and she probably did have autism. Uh, I really doubt that. I, I just highly doubt that. Um, you know, we had, you know, we, we've had autism described in medical literature for quite some time. You know, people knew what it was. You know, we had a movie called Rain Man about it, you yeah, know, and I then it was you know, yeah. highly popular. Great so, movie. you know, this is something that was known. Yeah. So it must be uh, uh, very tough at the, at the at the top level of the AMA and the ADA and the, the veterinary and the f- big pharma to um, promulgate these kinds of decisions, huh? It's it's, it's just a, it's a challenge. Yeah, yeah, you know. Well, yeah, and and that's the thing. That's something that um, you know, Dr. Robert Lustig uh, from University of San Francisco, uh, University of California, San Francisco Medical School. Um, he's a professor emeritus there. That he's he's a guy who cracked the case open on on fructose being as bad as alcohol and and having a, you know significant role in disease. He you know has been basically trying to get these food recommendations and and dietary rec, rec, you know, recommendations from these different organizations changed and at least at least amended and and updated. They meet seldomly it's every several years that they'll put something out it's like every five years for some of these some of these guys they'll, they'll put out their recommendations every five years or so and it's it's bureaucrats you know that are meeting not scientists not researchers not doctors mm. they have teams of doctors and researchers at their beck and call who then you know talk amongst themselves and put forward their you know you know, learned uh, experience and advice and recommendations. And then the bureaucracy does whatever the hell they want. And, you know, and so, um, you know, they're not privy to those conversations on what they decide. They just, they just submit their side of things and say, Hey, this is what we think. And then something very different comes out of the meeting on the other side. So, you know, it's, um, you know, it's not as, it's not as uh, scientifically robust as people think, you know, they think that, oh, well, this is the government doing what's good. I mean, when has the government ever really had our best interest at heart? I mean, <laughs> have they ever, you know, ever? yeah, I, I don't think so. ever, no, you know, They've never, no, have they no. ever told the they truth about anything part. too? I mean, really ever? Not often. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you know, so. Last time I checked, you yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. so uh, Dr. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Chafee's with us. So, so, so then that'll take us up to the time. There was a time then, then you figured out that you were just going to start to eat meat. How long ago was that? And then we're going to take a break and then we're going to dig into it. Just how, how many years ago? Oh, it was like 22 years ago now Whoa. That, I, that I first figured that out. Yeah. 22 years? And you've uh, been just eating meat mm-hmm. for 22 years? Mostly, I sort of slipped off of it because I didn't. I didn't sort of realize how significant uh, what I was doing was. But I took cancer biology at the University of Washington in Seattle, back around mm-hmm. sort of two thousand, and yeah, around two thousand. And we, you know, you know, I learned in seventh grade biology that plants and animals are in an evolutionary arms race. You know, plants becoming more and more poisonous so that less and less animals can eat them, so that they can survive and thrive, and animals becoming adapted to specific poisons in specific plants so that they can eat that plant and survive and thrive. And maybe other, other animals can't. So that's their dedicated food source. Like eucalyptus is for koala. Okay. We're going to dig into that, but I I need to do a break first and sell a promote a couple products. That's how I make a living around here. Um, And so 
But I, I watched a video of you of last night, and I really enjoyed it. And, and let me just tell you what, what he told me on, uh, on this video, Dr. Chaffee. He said his diet is meat and salt and water. So he, that's what he eats for a living, and he's been doing it for a long time. And he doesn't look like you're going to die anytime soon, so you might be on to something. Let's uh, do this, and <laughs> then, we'll be, then we'll be right back. Previously, with the highly credentialed Dr. Thomas Levy, he argues because the literature shows that oxidation is the cause of disease. But the whole point is the location, the concentration, the duration, the distribution of oxidized biomolecules determines 100% of all diseases. And so that's why I say oxidative stress doesn't cause disease, oxidation is disease. Is disease. If there's no oxidized biomolecules, you don't have a toxin. The toxic effect is oxidation of biomolecules. That's the entirety of it. And by the grace of God, several months ago, George Wiseman said this about hydrogen. Hydrogen is the world's best antioxidant by a long shot. Hmm. First of all, it's 700 times uh, smaller than something like uh, CoQ10, 400 times smaller than vitamin C, things like that. So it can literally go, the hydrogen molecule can literally go through everything in your body and go right into the very DNA and repair it. So now it makes sense why George was able to say this back in August 2019 with such conviction. The body accepts that gas and uses it to heal everything. It's like the fountain of youth. It's a astonishing the amount of ailments in fact in scientific studies and they have over a thousand scientific studies now they are showing that it either helps the body heal directly or indirectly from virtually every ailment that ails any water-based life form okay i'm sold and i was able to get one a couple of months ago thanks to your support well that's a little bit ancient one because that was probably three years ago but hey what can i say uh the hydrogen browns gas machine available on one radio network and uh, we were talking about, Dr. Chafee mentioned uh, oxidative stress, and um, Levy and uh, others uh, believe that this is really kind of the mother load of disease. And uh, this hydrogen is not a, uh, you know, it doesn't go in and kill anything. It doesn't do that. And it's not an anti-terrorist or anything. It is, uh, it's, a, it's a food. And it's actually what the stars uh, eat for breakfast. It's the number most prolific molecule in the universe whatever that universe is, and um, it's um, you can breathe the gas and drink the water. We drink the water every day, make the water, drink it, and then breathe the gas, and I've been doing it for almost three years now, and, um, and I'm, I haven't died, so I'm doing good. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. You can use promo code one radio. Promo that's always a good thing, you know. It's like okay, I've been doing this for so many years. Are you dead? No, I'm good. Um, yeah, promo code one radio, and you get twenty percent off. Twenty percent. I don't know how long the twenty percent deal is, but uh, I love it. I uh, breathe it all the time as I'm working on my screenplays and writing projects and downstairs rebounding and do whatever I do yoga. And uh, you get a cannula, twenty-five footer, and just. You know, just stroll around the, the dining room and breathe it. It's pretty cool. The oxygen, uh, the hydrogen Browns gas machine, promo code one radio, twenty uh, percent discount on one radio network com. One of the things that we do here in Dripping Springs, Texas, other than look at the stars at night, is to have a sauna every day in my life, 
and our far infrared sauna is one of the best ones that we know of. It's made in Taiwan at a medical university, and if China doesn't go in and take them over, I guess we'll keep the, oh God. See, it's always something, you know? It's, you, just, you just wake up and it's something else, you know? Anyway, any, <laughs> so don't take over that medical university there, Ching Chao, whatever your name is. Anyway, uh, they're made in Taiwan, and we ship them all over the world, and uh, the price is $1,295, tax title delivered in the lower 48, for those of you in Petaluma, that doesn't include Alaska or Hawaii, and uh, a one, two, nine, five, the best price you're gonna get. And I get in this puppy every night, and then I jump in a cold shower, and uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, it's, uh, it's so much more than detoxification as well, you can go on our front page and look at Dr. Rhonda Patrick. She has a video that we just posted about the 10 benefits of saunas. And for the heart, oh, phew, man, we're talking about the heart. It's amazing some of the, these are studies that you can find if you're really geeky and how, how it strengthens the heart on so, so many levels, arteries. And it actually tricks the body into thinking that you've exercised because you sweat, right? And you get all this, a circulation all over, you get all red and rosy, and it's just like when you run around, so maybe you don't have to do as much of that. Check it out, it's on the front page of uh, our website. Uh, the, uh, well, actually, no, you just email me, sorry, I got confused, but I get confused. Patrick at oneradionetwork.com, and we'll hook you up for twelve ninety five. and we ship them to Canada, I think it's about $200 extra to Canada, so it's it's not much at all, Fourteen ninety five. This is the best one, that, that we know about. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Indeed it is, and we're talking with a gentleman who is in Perth, Australia, where it's getting close to midnight there. Are we, are we up past your bedtime, Doc? You okay? You doing all right? Huh. No, it's all good. <laughs> it's all, well, yeah. You're a doctor. You just stay up in the middle of the night anyway, right? Uh, yeah. Dr. Uh, uh, Anthony Chaffee, MD. He's a brain surgeon, and uh, you uh, can find him. Doc, where are you? Let's see, so folks can find you. You have YouTube videos, right, on YouTube, Anthony mm-hmm. Chaffee, and then also you do an Instagram yeah. thing, Anthony Chaffee on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, same so, Yeah, so Anthony Chaffee, MD, on both Chaffee. Instagram and, yeah. and uh, YouTube. Yeah. And, then, <clears throat> and then I have a, a podcast called The Plant Free MD, uh, as well, that's available on on whatever people listen to uh, their podcasts on. Oh. So here you are, an MD, brain surgeon, and 20 years ago, you've kind of, so my mom always said, eat our vegetables. Come on, now, really. Yeah. Vegetables are just not all they're cracked up to be, according to you carnivore guys, and you're one of the top mm. ones around the country. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so that's the thing, you know, um, like I learned, you know, in seventh grade biology and what, what uh, I'm assuming other people learned in seventh grade biology as well is that plants use toxins as defense chemicals to stop animals from eating them, you know, or, or fungus and bacteria, you know, there, there's uh-huh. defenses against all sorts of things. Uh, you know, life is, is wild. Nature is, is crazy. It's, it's kill or be killed for every, <laughs> every level of life, all the yeah. way down to single celled organisms. And, and plants are no exception to that. If they don't have any way of defending themselves, they will be extinct. They'll be eaten uh, and, uh, and, and preyed upon by other, uh, other creatures, animals that, that want to eat them. So, the only plants that have survived have made it through this gauntlet 
that is nature and are able to survive against all of these different things trying to eat them. So we were learning this from a cancer perspective when I was taking cancer biology. Mm. And so we were just looking at carcinogens and we learned 22 years ago that Brussels sprouts, just Brussels sprouts had identified 136 known human carcinogens in them and that white mushrooms had uh, over a hundred and that spinach, kale, lettuce, celery, cabbage, cucumber, broccoli, you name it, literally given pages of all the different plants and vegetables that we would eat on a regular basis. And they found that there were, you know, 60, 80 or over a hundred known human carcinogens in them. And we actually know that they were abundant because we've known that since the 1980s with the work of Professor Bruce Ames from Berkeley, he found that the naturally occurring pesticides and insecticides, which is what these defense chemicals are, hmm. uh, were so abundant that they, they found that there was 10,000 times more naturally occurring toxins in the plant by weight than the chemicals uh, we spray on them industrially uh, in the form of pesticides. Whoa. More than and, what we spray yeah. on them. More than what we spray on them. 10,000 10, times more. And, and Ames didn't actually know about all the defense chemicals in there. He actually only knew about 42 of them, 20 of which he showed to be carcinogenic. Fast forward uh, 10 years later, we already knew about 136 carcinogens, just carcinogens, just in Brussels sprouts. And so over a lot of different plants, he found 42 harmful chemicals, 20 of which were carcinogenic. Um, and so obviously there were a lot that he hadn't discovered. So of just the ones that he discovered and weighed those out, there was 10,000 times more than, than the pesticides we spray on them. So actually there's quite a lot more than 10,000 times. And those naturally occurring ones in animal models that he, that he um, used in his studies found that they were orders of magnitude times more carcinogenic than the pesticides we sprayed on them. So 10,000, what does that mean? That means 99.99% of all pesticides and insecticides exist inside the plant itself. And so this is why we still have pesticides because they were actually trying to ban them in the 1980s. They're saying these are harmful chemicals. These are bad to have in our food. Mm -hmm. And that made sense. That makes perfect sense. I mean, these are designed to be harmful. They're designed to kill insects and animals eating this crop. And so what is that doing to us? It's not going to be good. And, but he found that the plant was worse, you know? So, you know, <laughs> it was decided that it's like, well, if you're going to eat, you know, the spinach anyway, you know, like might as well have the, the pesticides on it because it's a drop in the bucket. It's not as bad as the spinach itself. And so this, this does away with the organic argument. So, well, if you grow this in your own garden or you get it perfectly uh, you know, done by, you know, some, uh, you know, a holistic healer of a, of, a, of a farmer that never uses chemicals or fertilizers or anything, then it'll be okay. Well, in fact, no, the plant itself is harmful. And we know this. We know this in, intuitively because, you know, if you get lost out in the woods and you run out of food, Everyone, you know, everyone is aware that you can't just eat any random plant because most of them will make you very, very sick yes. or even kill you. And so what does that mean? That means plants have defense chemicals that can be deadly. Hmm. But this isn't just those plants. It's not that we found plants like spinach and these, these don't have any defense chemicals. It's that we have more defenses against the defense chemicals in spinach than we do to say hemlock. You know, so that's why the spinach um, gets a bad rap, rap with the oxalates because there's more there. Well, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. So there, there are oxalates, but sure. you know, oxalates 
are going to be much more harmful to other animals. Like, so we have more defenses against oxalates. And so we can, we can handle them mm -hmm. for even years at a time, but they, it will cause damage. But it's not going to kill us that day. They build Whereas up. Like, you know, you, they build up. Uh, they build say up. If you eat spinach a lot, it'll build up. And mm -hmm. these oxalates are these. These are separate uh, from the other chemicals that this that mm -hmm. this doctor in uh, uh, San Francisco found, Ames, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, are, yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly which ones he did because okay. you know, in, in um, I, you know, so he may he may have spoken about oxalates, but um, you know, it's uh, but oxalate, oxalates are just a part. Of the of the, the poisons of many, in yeah. of the of the many, and pretty much all vegetables yeah. have these things. Every single plant on Earth has Every these things, single and this plant is something. On Earth. Oh, yeah, good. and this is and and fungus as well. So you know, th this is something that any botanist can tell you, that anybody studying horticulture can tell you. You can find this in any textbook on on either of them. The reason that this isn't more widely known is because botany and horticulture are boring as hell to most people. And so they don't look at it. Yeah. I think it I you know I didn't necessarily look into this stuff during my my high school and uh you know undergraduate education, but I I've, I've become much more interested in it now and I found that there's a huge body of of uh of you know data and, and uh, information on this exact subject. Um and so, you know, and, and it makes sense, right? I mean, these things have defense chemicals. They, every living thing has a defense. And while animals can run away or fight back, plants can't. And so they have to use other mechanisms. And yeah. one of those, yeah. yeah. So, and one of those mechanisms is poisons. So how do cows and goats and sheep uh, deal with those? I mean, they don't get poisoned. Yeah, so that's the thing, um, is that that's what I was saying before, is in this evolutionary arms race animals becoming more adapted to the poisons in in those specific plants but you know realize that there are tens of thousands of defense chemicals out there and so they don't have the ability to break down all of them so in fact even though a cow exclusively eats plants at the same time most plants will kill a cow if they eat them they eat specific plants they eat grass and in fact cows eat specific grasses they don't eat all kinds of grasses wow. some grasses are harmful to a cow and so you know well, you know there's 340,000 plants in the world and koalas eat one pandas eat one cows horses grazing animals eat grass that's it they eat other things they can get sick or die you know the leaves that a gorilla eats are different from the leaves that a giraffe eats those are different from the leaves that a deer eat and so on and you mix those leaves around they all get sick or die and so this is this is the the rule as opposed to the exception and so if you think about it all plants are poisonous it's just that certain animals have evolved the ability to break down specific poisons in specific plants so that they can eat those plants safely but if they eat anything else they will get harmed by this to to whatever extent, um, potentially fatally. And so the benefit of being a carnivore, which 66% of animal species are, is that you don't have to, you know, filter out these poisons and, and weather the storm of these poisons. You know, this other animal has done it for you. They can do it safely. They can thrive on grass great let them do that i'll eat the, you know i'll eat the, the the end product and so you know people say like well they're eating these poisons so you know wouldn't the poisons be in their body well no because they're breaking them down safely there are certain examples of that though like uh, koalas you know eucalyptus are horribly toxic and uh this is something i, I heard um 
you know, a few weeks ago, I haven't verified this, but this is something someone was saying was that, you know, if, if you were, you know, natives were going to eat a koala, they wouldn't eat like the bone marrow, you know, because like the, that's, that's where a lot of these toxins will sort of build up. And so you wouldn't be able to, uh, you wouldn't have a good time if you ate like the bone marrow of a koala. Now, some animals, uh, the rum, how do you say, ruminants, 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 yeah. So they have different stomachs and um, it's, it's easier to eat their meat than it is like even a chicken or what's another one or pig because they're not. Mm -hmm. And whatever the pig eats, you're eating. And whatever the chicken's eating, you're eating. So you have to be more careful with pigs and chicken, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. whatever they eat, you eat, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, there's there called monogastrics, like, you know, humans are, right. you know, we have one stomach. And so they, they aren't as able to, to break down certain things. And so if they're, if they're eating more of an inappropriate diet, something that they wouldn't eat normally in the wild, uh, you know, that can, that can sort of translate through a bit, uh, a bit more, but, you know, uh, it can, it can happen to, to, uh, you know, ruminant animals as well, you know, because the, because when you're eating carbohydrates, um, this sort of derails your, your metabolic system. Okay. And when you, yeah. So when, when you're, like I said before, like when you're, when you're eating carbohydrates, your blood sugar goes up and it's this high blood sugar that actually harms your body. Mm -hmm. So your body knows this and it recognizes that as dangerous. And so it increases your insulin because it's trying to get this. That's the what hell out does of your bloodstream. Down, right. The insulin. Yeah. And so, yeah, exactly. And so, when you have high blood sugar, this is toxic to your body, and your body in, in a, you know looks at this and says, "You know, sweet Jesus, what has this idiot done?" And it slams up your insulin to get this stuff out of your bloodstream as quickly as possible. And you know, but that's the thing is is that it's this hazmat, this is damage control. This is not a careful, you know, uh, refined process like our metabolism is without carbohydrates. This is this is just trying to get control of the situation, and so your insulin goes way higher than you want it to be, and it stays high. And in fact, high insulin actually causes disease in and of itself. Does it? One of the things, hmm. yes, it does. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things, you know, like it can cause, uh, you know, high blood pressure because of the elasticity in your arteries. It won't let them, you know, expand and contract normally. And so it just, they're just rigid. And so if you're having this blood go through and it's rigid, it can't expand to compensate for that. Your blood pressure will go up, right? You know, same volume, you know, you're putting pressure up, pressure is going to go up on the system. And then you sort of, you know, increase the volume, pressure goes down, but now you can't do that as well because insulin's up. And when, what does that do? Well, you know, you have blood vessels in places like your penis. And so when these aren't expanding uh, properly, you're not going to necessarily get a, an erection the way you would normally do. And so one of the first signs of systemic atherosclerosis is erectile dysfunction. Uh -huh. And so just, just reducing your body's um, insulin can actually uh, in, improve your, your blood pressure, but can also improve uh, erectile dysfunction. Uh, another thing is um, is PCOS, so polycystic ovarian syndrome in women. Um, there, there are multiple causes, but a, but a major causative factor um, in PCOS, which is a le leading cause of infertility in women and hormonal derangement, um, is that women make testosterone, and that testosterone is then converted into estrogen by the ovaries. And so insulin stops that process. And so that gets in the way of that. And now you just have this abundance of testosterone and not enough estrogen. And this 
you know, causes your, your body and your hormonal system to go haywire. And it can cause obesity, uh, body hair as a man would have, facial hair as a man would have, and other other serious problems and, and infertility. And that could be the Just cause of disruption in menstrual cycles or stopping the menstrual cycle early or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. It could be m- yeah. any number of Absolutely. things. Any number of things. Yeah, or you know, premature uh, menopause. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you if you're just derailing your body's you know estrogen progesterone, um, you know, production, you're you're going to go into early menopause, or you can anyway, and and you're certainly going to damage yourself along the way, even if you if you don't, um, and uh, and it can deal with fertility as well. And again, cholesterol is the precursor to all of these these hormones, right? It's the it's the precursor to testosterone, estrogen, progestogens, and even all of the the things like cortisol and uh, and and other hmm. all of the mineralocorticoids and glucocorticoids that come out of your adrenal glands. All of those are are made from cholesterol, and so if you don't have enough cholesterol, which we're always told, oh my God, stay away from cholesterol. Uh, you're not going to have a proper hor- functioning hormonal system. And we have so many people with hormonal dysfunction and like, oh, I have a glandular problem or this or that. No, it's, 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 you know, it's simpler than that. You know, you have, you ha- your, your body is responding to these inappropriate chemicals that are in your body. Carbohydrates are a major one. You're, you, there is no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. You do not need to eat any carbohydrates throughout the entirety of your life. <laughs> you make glucose. You make you glycogen exacting degrees. Uh, so carbohydrate, you're talking rice, pasta, cookies, cakes, crackers, uh, fruit, real, even, even fruit. Yeah. You know, uh, so I have so many questions here. We're talking. If you have a question for Dr. Chafee, it's Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com, or you can call 888-663-6386. But if we were, let's just go back a little bit on the whole idea, well, of, of hunter-gatherers kind of caveman kind of diet thing, you know, what the carnivore is based on. Certainly there mm-hmm. would have been fruit trees around, right? And not in the wild and you kill a bear and everybody has bear meat and then you have a little dessert. I mean, why wouldn't we get used to eating fruit? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure some did, you know, huh. but the fruit of, you know, yesteryear it was very, very oh, different okay. than yeah. it is now. <laughs> it doesn't you know? count, right? And so, you know, yeah. Well, if you if you look at a mango, what a mango came from, yeah. You know, it's it's this 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 hard, fibrous, not very sweet, tough, ugly looking thing with a massive seed. You know, it is not the same thing. And so, these have been bred to increase the amount of fructose uh, uh, that are in there, so that they're they're more palatable, and they're hyper palatable is is the the term of the day. So. This is not what our ancestors met that. in the Paleolithic era. And, and furthermore, you know, our, our ancestors split off from other, other primates about 8 million years ago because they, they started eating meat and they started eating more and more meat, more and more meat. And they started getting these uh, adaptations that were more carnivore and more, you know, current modern day human then developed tools and thought of tactics and ways of taking down a woolly mammoth because you're not taking them down with your hands. Absolutely not. So you had to, we had to figure out how to take down a mastodon that outclassed us in every physical metric and, and eat them. And we did, we figured out tools and tactics and fire. We would burn, you know, a field and it would scare 
uh, these things over a cliff, they'd fall off the cliff and they'd die. And then we'd go down with stone tools and we'd cut them up and eat them and preserve their meat and uh, and, and go on like Good that. For us. So our <laughs> brains developed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so our brains developed, you know, instead of our teeth and our claws, right? Like a lion or a wolf. And that's why people say, oh, well, we don't have these big teeth like other, other predators and carnivores. And it's like, yeah, well, that's because we don't kill things with our mouths. You know, we used our brain. We came up with tools. And that's why we live in houses and lions don't, right? And so <laughs> when you you look at this, we, we about two and a half, three million years ago, when, when the ice ages started, well, that killed off, you know, most of the plant life on earth. And that killed off, you know, most of the animal life on earth that relied on that plant life. And so the only things that were surviving were these big, you know, uh, megafauna, herbivores that could sort of dig under the permafrost, get at the grasses, could survive in the cold times, and then these big predators that were were hunting them. And our ancestors were part of that. And so our ancestors that were already using tools, already knew how to hunt these megafauna and and thrive like that, they were the ones that survived. And they they turned full carnivore at this point. And that's what drove our final leg of evolution to the first true human 2.4 million years ago, Homo habilis, and then it continued on from there for another 2.1 million years until we get to homo sapiens sapiens about 300,000 years ago and we were essentially the same genetically there's there's some, you know minor differences here and there but the organism of homo sapien is still basically intact from from 300,000 years ago um and so, so we're going through all these ice ages. so 300,000 years ago what were what were our great 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 grandfather eating what, what were what were they eating just meat were they just meat? meat yeah, dudes? mastodon mostly, and uh, wow. horse, and, and so forth. So yeah, we have we have something called the stable isotope study, where we look at these bones, and we can actually see exactly what, what you can uh, actually see prove what they yeah. we were eating three hundred thousand yeah. years ago. Wow. Yeah, no, we we have hard proof of this, and or even before we looked at the ancient Egyptians. And we looked at what they were eating and you know because they they had a lot of these statues with guys with pot bellies and and right. uh, and gynecomastia you know and uh, and so um and they found you know mummies of pharaohs they found oh wow they had atherosclerosis this is because they were wealthy and they had access to fatty meat and uh no no actually um everyone had atherosclerosis because everyone was mummified so there are actually more mummies in egypt now than living people and so we have a lot of examples of this and a ton of people in that era had had atherosclerosis and heart disease but using the stable isotope study they actually found that the pharaohs and the normal people were eating the same things grains predominantly grains grains and um yeah exactly and so this was what was precipitating heart disease by that glycation of the cholesterol molecules and this larger disease process so looking back further than that before the agricultural revolution yeah we were pure carnivores and this is something that that we get told as kids that humans were apex predators top of the food chain you tell me one apex predator that grazes you know one apex predator that that eats a predominantly plant-based diet or any plants you know you they maybe like you know bears would eat berries and some honey sometimes um when they're trying to fatten up for the winter however they're predominantly still eating meat they're they're eating other crap as well but most of what they're eating is still meat and then you know other carnivores are really exclusively eating meat so that's what an apex predator does an apex predator eats all the animals underneath it it does not eat 
grass and roughage. You know, sharks do not eat kelp for roughage. You know, neither do lions or wolves. So, you know, that's just that's just something we see. And and the the, the stable isotope study actually showed because it can it can show basically you have this rating here. You can say like, okay, these molecules came from the grasses and from the plants into the animal. Okay, this this animal was an herbivore, and then they're more concentrated in this animal. Okay, that animal was eating the animal that was eating the plants. Okay. So that's a carnivore. And then you go up the food chain, you know, okay, this animal is eating the animal that's eating the animal that's eating the grass. And that's where we found our ancestors to be. We're actually, actually top of the food chain. So we had a higher carnivore rating than even lions and hyenas, wolves and foxes alive at the same time in the same area. So that means we were eating the lions and hyenas and foxes and wolves on top of the the grazing animals as well. Well, Dr. Chafee, if the, if the animals could figure out how to you know, evolve with these plants as you talked about. Why why haven't we humans figured out how to eat rice and pasta and pizza? I mean, over over a thousand years or so and and we could do pretty good with it and uh, well, just just because evolution takes longer than that, it takes a lot longer than that. We, I mean, we have to a certain extent. You know, people have that a, had every yeah, seventy five, eighty, ninety about, years old eating this stuff, right? Well, so the thing is, you're never going to you're never going to change your own genetics, and maybe you can build up tolerances to something like you know someone who drinks a lot of alcohol will build up a tolerance to alcohol so that they have to drink more alcohol to get to get an effect. Uh, certainly, you can do that to any poison, um, but you're never going to change your own genetics. So you're not going to adapt yourself from a carnivore to an herbivore in your lifetime. Um, you know, the, the change from a grizzly bear into a polar bear took one hundred thousand years. You know, it's a, and they're basically the same thing. It's just mm. a different color and a little bigger. Um, so it's, it's it takes uh, a long time. It's a very long time. Um, and, but we, you know, we, we do see some changes, right? So, so the populations that have uh, genetic ancestry to the ag- earliest agricultural revolution, right? From roughly eight to 10,000 years ago, you know, like the European populations, for example, uh, you know, they would have more defenses against some of these plant toxins of these cultivated foods than other people were this was this is illustrated when you see native populations um when you see native populations that you know western explorers would meet and they they just eat uh meat they were all just carnivores like the native americans they were they were just carnivores they just ate buffalo they ran buffalo herds off a cliff and then they ate buffalo all year they preserved it and dried it made pemmican and that's what they ate year round and and you know the the you know, natives of uh you know the arctic circle like the inuit they're just eating you know seal and polar bear and whale there there's no plants to eat even if they wanted to eat them um they respond much more much poor more poorly to western foods and cultivated foods and they well, I even learned as a kid that Native Americans, when eating a Western diet, were four times as likely to get obesity, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, all the rest. Okay. And I remember thinking to myself, well, doesn't that mean that the food is causing the disease? You know, because if they don't eat the food, they don't get the disease. And we eat the food and we get the disease just at a lower rate. You know, and, and what, what are they eating that we're not? What's a non-Western diet? And, you know, I, I, you know, they didn't tell you at the time. The answer is that they were pure high fat carnivores. They ate a lot of fat. They ate a lot of meat. You know, maybe, maybe people in the plains were eating some berries sometimes that, that certainly, um, 
in in the in the, the historical record is that sometimes like for celebrations or weddings they might put some berries in the pemmican as a celebration most of the time they didn't and then you had people in the arctic circle there were no there were no berries to speak of anyway and so this is like you know the ice ages as well you know a lot of people were living during this time hunting mammoths you know on the permafrost there was no fruit available, you know, even in the summer because there was no summer. And so, hmm. and if there were fruit available, it was this you know, crappy, fibrous, cruddy fruit. And so, you know, uh, there were a lot of people that were never eating fruit like the Inuit uh, today, you know, um, what, you know when, when living traditionally. This goes back to what we were talking about before, where animals are now getting human diseases. But like I was saying, it goes back further than that because when explorers were, were coming into these native populations, they found that they were not getting the same diseases of, uh, of, of Europeans that they called the diseases of the West, okay? So these diseases of the West are now called human diseases in dogs and cats. What are they? They're toxicities, toxic buildup of species inappropriate food and lack of species specific nutrition right so namely too many plants not enough animal not enough meat okay and that's that's why i came up when i had that aha moment three years ago when i said you know these diseases these chronic diseases are not diseases per se you know they this is this is a toxicity relationship and you can you can show it's a toxicity relationship because when you remove the toxic article the toxicity goes away. And that is exactly what we're seeing. So I see this in, in, in clinical practice all the time. So, so when you when you and you and other people get on this carnivore diet, things change. And it rather mm. quickly too, which is interesting. Yes. Rather. Talk yeah. about that. I mean, so well this this idea of an ongoing toxicity to me is so fascinating. Where we're on this diet, and God knows what we eat, right? We humans in in this country, let's just say United States and Australia, where you are, and then people come mm-hmm. up, and all of a sudden they get high blood pressure, and who knows what, and they have diabetes, and nobody, to nobody really ties it into what what have you eaten over the last forty years, right? Yeah. We, you know, so you're you're arguing that it's just an ongoing toxicity that just catches up with people, right? Just yeah. kind of catches up with it. Lack of nutrition with eating plants that we don't need and they're poison um, and then we call these whatever we just make up names for them right autoimmune disease heart, high blood pressure you know heart disease cancer whatever we just make up names and, yeah and then doctors give pills for them and then here we are <laughs> yeah well that, I mean that's the thing and so you know if you think about it it's not, it's not even like this is a brand new concept no, that no. food eat causes diseases. If you think about the fact that we've been blaming heart disease on cholesterol this whole time and saying sure. that if you eat red meat, you'll get diseases, you'll get heart disease, you'll get diabetes, you'll get obesity, and that will precipitate more diseases. So, so the idea is already there. They just got it completely backwards, you know? <laughs> and, um, and in fact, you know, this isn't, you know, my, my theory and argument that these diseases of the West, chronic diseases, whatever you call them, uh, are caused by food. This is a poisoning as opposed to a disease process uh, or, or lack of nutrition, you know, like, you know, like, like your brain's made out of fat and cholesterol and you're not getting enough of it, you will develop dementia, you know, on top of, you know, eating carbohydrates, which limit the energy that goes to your brain and, and curtails its function. Um, autism, there, there, is, there are correlative studies from the University of Texas um, A&M showing that 
a specific kind of autism. There are many kinds of autism and many causes of autism that, you know, autism spectrum disorder, there's a spectrum of these diseases that to me says that there are a spectrum of causes. Um, one of those causes is a lack of carnitine and carnitine is integral in developing proper uh, neurons. And so if you don't have enough carnitine, you will not develop your brain properly and you will develop this specific kind of autism. Um, most people make carnitine. Most people make enough carnitine that you won't see this. And so this is why we didn't really see this in the population, except that some people don't make it or they don't make enough of it. But there's a ton of carnitine in meat and especially in red meat. There's a ton of it in red meat and carnitine does not exist in plants and fungi. So when the vegetarian you know, uh, movement got bigger and the vegan you know, movement got bigger, now you have more people doing this. Now you have this very, very rare example of someone who couldn't make enough carnitine now not being exposed to carnitine through their diet and they're developing these types of autism. And so they found that in vegans and vegetarians had a much higher rate of children with autism. And they found that there was wow. actually this causative I'm, relationship between carnitine. Yeah. And so they actually found, and that's, so that's not correlation, that's causation. So that, that's an example of malnutrition causing a, a, you know, a disease process, right? So, so yeah. Yeah. So red meat uh, in your opinion, in your research, and your experience over 20 years, has everything we need. Everything we yeah, need. Absolutely. So that's why yeah. your diet is meat, salt, and water. Mm -hmm. Do you have a picture yeah. of your fridge? I, I saw a picture of your fridge the other night. Yeah. It's pretty hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> you should see his fridge. Folks. He's got this fridge, and he's got all this, the whole thing is just meat stacked up in an open refrigerator. At what temperature mm -hmm. do you have it? Oh, probably like, I think it's like 34, 36 or something. Pretty maybe cold. Probably 36. And then you let it sit yeah. there for a couple of weeks, right? What does that do mm. to the meat? Uh, and what does that do to the meat? Yeah. So I, I wet age and dry age my meat or, or dry brine. So wet aging is when you get like a, a whole big, you know, ribeye loin mm -hmm. from, from Costco or, or wherever right. um, that you want to buy that from. And it's vacuum sealed. So it's, it's vacuum packed. And these things are basically hermetically sealed. You know, there's no, there's no bacteria or anything in there. So they can sit for a very long time. If you go to like very, very nice steakhouses, they will say, you know, uh, this 30 day wet age, 30 day dry age steak. Huh. So that's wet aging. It's just leaving it in the pack. It's very lazy. You know, it's just, it just, just takes leave time. It in the package. Any extra. Yeah, package. Yeah, you just leave it in the package. Yeah. So you, you actually, the less you do, you know, the, the more uh, you get for that one. Uh, and so you just put that in the refrigerator. It needs to be in the refrigerator. It won't, you know, it won't do as well to sitting on the counter. But if you keep it in the refrigerator, it, uh, it, it can last for, you know, the longest I've done is six weeks, but, you know, I, I try to keep it around four weeks um, because I don't, I don't want it to spoil, but then when you open it up, you know, I, you know, dry it off and I'll cut it up into steaks, very thick steaks. You're going to go like, you know, at least two to three inch steaks. Whoa. And yeah. yeah. And well, because I, I try to, I try to make a steak as big as I'm going to, you know, as big of a meal as I want that whole day. So, you know, I'm looking for, you know, 24 hours worth of nutrition in one go, you know, and if I'm working out a lot, maybe I'll, I'll have two of those, you know, uh, throughout the day, but quite often, you know, I'll just, I'll just have one, you know, big ass steak and that, and that keeps and, you going for and 24 and hours. And keep you going for 24 hours. Just yeah. like, just yeah, like exactly. a dog or, or a lion or a tiger. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, my dog does that. And, uh, 
you know, I just give her raw meat. I've been giving her raw meat for a long time, 10 years, and she does great. Yeah. And But you know yeah. what's interesting about uh, my dog as well, she's lying right here, she's a golden doodle, um, that she'll go sometimes and just not eat for two or three days. Just, no, mm-hmm. I'm good, I'm good. Isn't that yeah. interesting? Yeah, she, yeah. They, she doesn't know. Yeah. And that's what you talk about in your videos too, that just eat when you're hungry and yeah. eat, eat till you're full. And then when you're hungry again, eat, eat some more. You know, that's pretty easy. Yeah. No, it is. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, and so you, you can actually, when you're not eating carbohydrates, you can actually listen to your body's hunger yeah. signals and satiety signals. Um, you know, as I, I was sort of alluding to earlier, you know, insulin causes its own problems. One of those problems is when it's it blocks a hormone called leptin. Leptin is uh, released from stretch receptors in your stomach. When, you're, when your stomach's full, it releases leptin. They say, ah, oh, I'm satiated. Mm-hmm. People think that. That's not the whole story. So that that does happen. But the majority of your leptin comes from your fat cells, from your adipose tissue. And that goes up to your brain and your brain sees this and goes, oh, okay, we have, we have a lot of, of you know, gas in the tank. And so you know, we're good. Insulin blocks leptin. So your brain can't see your leptin wow. when your insulin is up. Wow. Yeah. So, so, and fructose actually does it independently as well. So when you're eating, you know, sort of sugary things, this is, this is compounding this effect because your insulin is going up and you have fructose going around blocking the leptin as well. So this is uh, a problem because now your brain can't see the leptin. And so your brain doesn't actually realize that you have an abundance of energy. And so as the insulin stays up, because insulin can stay up for like 24 hours, it has a long half-life in your body your blood sugar is now dropping because that was a whole point. You wanted to drop your blood sugar, get this the hell out of your system as quickly as possible. And so, but your insulin stays up and now your blood sugar is dropping down. This is why, you know, we're, we get low blood sugar, we get tired, we get drowsy and we want to go eat and you have to, I need to eat something. I need to eat something. I need to eat more carbs. But because of this, this relationship with insulin and, um, and leptin, your brain gets this signal because it can't see the leptin. Your brain gets a signal that you have zero energy reserves and your blood sugar is dropping. And you get this panic signal from your brain that says, if you don't eat now, you will die. Oh. And this is why three times a day, our, our, you know, people just go, oh my God, I'm starving. I have to eat. <laughs> have and, they to. Get, and they get really upset and they're putting on weight. Yeah. you know and they're and they're not healthy and so people you know doctors and you know other fools for decades were saying oh we should you should always be hungry you know that's a, that's a good thing you know you should always leave the table you know a little hungry you know and and it's like why can't you actually listen to your body's biochemical signals you know like i mean you don't have to micromanage the rest of your biochemistry you know, and so why would you have to micromanage this? Something's going wrong. You, you should be able to listen to it. You know, nature is natural. It just happens, you know, so you, you, you shouldn't have to do that. You know, deer in the wild don't have a fitness coach, you know, telling, oh, no, uh-uh, honey, you know, I, I, I'd stop if I was you, you know, it's like, you know, they're not saying that, you know, they don't have someone saying like, you know, I know, you know, or, or eating like horrible tasting leaves and things like that. You know, that's, that's another thing is like, like vegetables taste like garbage you know and and kids hate them they're closer to their their genetic and their biology and so their bodies are telling them this is poison because something that tastes bad and is bitter is bad for you your brain is recognizing that as something harmful and it's saying spit this out you know this is one of your main senses and you're and you're just saying no no no, ignore that 
you know it's outmoded it's outdated you know your, your your brain just doesn't know what's going on just just eat it and you know the deer don't go around eating the shitty tasting leaves. They don't have a health coach going, you know, I know those they taste like garbage, but they'll look great on your ass, you know, or something like that. You know, they eat what tastes good. They get this signal that says, this is good for me. And they eat that, you know, if something tastes bad. It is bad for you. You know, uh, maybe it could be used medicinally, but I'm talking about just for, for daily sustenance. Right. right. So, so uh, talk a little bit about the fat thing. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the carnivore people I've seen on, online talk about you know steak and butter and then fat and then and then also organ meats too so mm-hmm. give us your idea on organ meats and also fat so um what if you now ribeye's got a lot of fat so you can just do the whole thing and you're going to get enough fat right pretty much yeah yeah, yeah pretty yeah. much so, yeah so, so fat is is super important uh, fat so is what is, if you're just getting a, a muscle meat like a you know, at the HEB or, or Whole Foods or something that, you know, maybe uh, some kind of piece pretty of meat lean. that's just a muscle, pretty lean. So do, yeah. can you, you want to add fat? You want to do butter with that or yeah. butter? You want to add butter or tallow, like grass-fed tallow, okay. which is it's actually quite cheap. You can get yeah. it on Amazon. Sure. You get a big tub of that, cook with it. It's very good to cook with. Uh-huh. And yeah, and then you can pour some on or melt some butter onto it as well. The fat's very important. Does the butter you do know, it for you? Uh, butter will do it for you just as well as the meat fat? It can, yeah. You know, some people have a problem with milk proteins, right? Especially people, especially those with autoimmune issues. Autoimmune issues when they go carnivore, just just autoimmune issues just melt away. Do that. I, right. I have yet to see a single autoimmune disease that doesn't completely resolve in a matter of months on a carnivore diet. I've had a number of people with Crohn's and ulcerative colitis who've gone on a pure red meat and water diet, and in three months they have no sign of disease on biopsy on a colonoscopy okay so that means the disease Whoa. is gone Whoa. right so that you've doesn't seen happen you've seen this on a carnivore yeah just just meat yeah. and water and salt pretty much yeah so so we actually have 150 plus years of documented scientific literature on this exact phenomenon because like i said earlier i'm i'm not the first one to figure this out you know there were doctors in the 18th century all throughout or sorry, so the 1800s, all throughout the 1900s, who who figured this out and, and knew damn well about it, and they they published copious amount of, of publications and papers and books uh, all the way. You know, the most recent one being 1975, the book called the Stone Age Diet. Um, I forget the guy's name. It's like a it's like a Scandinavian name. Um, he argued we're we're carnivores, and he was gastroenterologist, and he argued that you know we are carnivores. That's the kind of animal we are, and he he laid out the the evidence for that. And then he said, you know, it's the that plants they're we're eating are actually causing these problems, and that you know me as a as a gastroenterologist, my profession doesn't need to exist if you don't eat plants. <laughs> this is what you a know? gastro guy so, said. Yeah, yeah, you're saying this. So, you know, you know what a a Salisbury steak is? Kind of, sort of. It's got sauce on it or something. Yeah. Usually, yeah. Usually, you find it like in TV dinners now. Um, Like no one actually makes it, but like uh, basically, it's just ground ground up beef. It's just just hamburger meat, right? Um, 
I always thought this was like a, a you know place name, like Salisbury, England, or something like that. But no, it turns out this was named after Dr. J. H. Salisbury, who was a New York doctor in the 1800s, who did a 30-year research project on the optimal diet for humans. And he was living with the Native Americans who were only eating meat. They were living to a great age. They were living to be 110, 115 really? years old. Really? Just on meat. Active Just on meat. Just on meat. Wow. And 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 fatty meat. And so huh. you know he and and it's the thing you know they weren't like you know sitting in the you know corner of a nursing home just turning to dust in a wheelchair just being fed gruel yeah, they were every day. around they, yeah. they were active adults yeah these were these were stone age nomads you know going around following the buffalo herds with a pack on their back day in and day out these were hale and hardy people you couldn't be otherwise and survive in those in those uh environments and so he was you know he really did his research on this and he found that people that were eating but this is long before processed sugar came around processed food and all the other you know artificial junk that have come in uh, or even pesticides he found that people that were just eating plants and grains were getting diseases that other people simply weren't their immune system was more susceptible to infections such as tuberculosis they were succumbing to, to tuberculosis more easily more readily they were getting rheumatoid arthritis gout crohn's um ulcerative colitis all these different different issues and he found that you could cure them c-u-r-e cure them by putting them on a pure red meat and water diet and that's where a salisbury steak came from because this was a special way of grinding yeah, special way of grinding the hamburger meat down. So it, it pulled out and filtered out the gristle. So you just got, you know, just the, 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 you know, the meat and the, and the fat and you'd add some butter to this or whatever. Um, and what did that do? It's harder for your body to break down the gristle and to absorb that. So you're going to pass it in waste this is what the fiber is. This is something that's indigestible. You can't use it. So it's going to pass out of your system, right? So if your body can't use it, can't break it down, it's going to go out in waste. But the Salisbury steak you know, got most of that stuff out of it. So you, you would basically absorb a 100%. Because if you just ate a steak now with the gristle intact, you, you would absorb 98% of it. Where without the gristle, you would basically absorb 100% of it and you wouldn't have to defecate. And so these people uh, were 100 years before any, any rational medication existed to help with Crohn's or ulcerative colitis or, or rheumatoid arthritis. They were desperate desperate pain and so you know their bloody diarrhea all day every day and they died from this this was a very 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 bad disease it was a very bad way to go and by going on this you're completely resting your bowel and you're just absorbing 100 of the meat that you're eating nothing's going out nothing's irritating it and your body heals and this these these disease process this inflammatory process goes away because it's not a disease process your body is responding negatively to you know negative aggressors in your in your diet and you know you're having problems and people are having that are genetically susceptible to getting crohn's and ulcerative colitis they're they're getting this so you know it's it's um there's you know building evidence to show that autoimmune issues are a combination of things you get leaky gut from eating plants especially gluten gluten will cause leaky gut which is a breakdown of the actual binding structures of the cells in your in the lumen of your intestine and so this actually causes you know physical break in the barrier like you have a cut on your skin now bacteria can get in well now things can get in uh to your to your uh, system through your gut that normally would never get through including bacteria but also including 
other plant nonsense like lectins, uh, oxalates, all the rest of them. Um, and lectins cause a lot of problems in your system. They can actually bind to they're in grains, uh, right? Lectins, receptors. lectins are in grains. Oh, and beans, beans. Yeah, there's tons of lectins in beans and, and other, other plants as well. Yeah, beans are toxic. You know what I mean? Like uh, there, there's a lot of beans that if you don't process these things properly, soak them and boil them and all this sort of stuff, they'll, they will just kill you you know and so you know it's it's uh, you know like you know ricin comes from uh the you know the skin around a bean this is this is invariably fatal uh, uh poison so um there are tons of poisons and lectins are, are part of these poisons and they get into your system through the leaky gut and they cause all sorts of mayhem in your body one of the problems is that this is a foreign body and your body is going to make antibodies towards it. They're going to attack this stuff. Get the hell out of here. Problem is, is that some people can have different structures in their body that are a little too similar to these lectins. And it's called molecular mimicry. So these antibodies are, are being made for the lectins to kill the lectins, but then they're close enough to this other thing that they attack that part of your body as well. And then you get this autoimmune response in your body's is just oh. from the sounds autoimmune your immune system is attacking itself interesting okay uh we're talking when about you remove the lectins. Go, go ahead when you remove when you remove the lectins it goes away yeah that's it you remove the lectins and now your body stops making these antibodies towards the lectins and it's those antibodies stop attacking your body as well autoimmune issue goes away fascinating anthony chafee md is a neurosurgeon and when he's not doing neurosurgery he's talking with his uh his tribe about uh, being a carnivore and he just does meat and salt and water pretty easy easy shopping right and easy sh- yeah. you know a c- couple of questions uh, uh i've been looking around because uh, i've been interested in this about a month i started eating meat uh, a lot just just meat and um about a month ago and in in one month i've gained five pounds of muscle <laughs> 